Welcome to What She Said. My name is Candace Sampson, and when I first took over What She Said in January 2020, I jokingly asked in the intro, what could possibly go wrong? And then 2020 said, let me show you. My life has been a country song ever since, but then again, so is everyone else's right now. Thankfully, through this podcast, I get to meet the most amazing women in Canada and around the globe and share their stories with you. What She Said is here to talk about anything and everything under the sun as interpreted by and through the perspective of women. Because honestly, we've heard what he said for long enough. If you like what you hear, be sure to hit subscribe and share this podcast with a friend. Today's show is coming right up. For me, there was nothing more disconcerting than entering the grocery stores in late March and early April and seeing the shelves bare. Of course, I had seen images like that in my life from other countries, but to actually experience it was an entirely different feeling. Like most things in life, being told something could happen feels abstract to us. So when it comes to the future of food, maybe this experience with the pandemic has made us collectively understand that things are definitely changing. Our dependence on meat is harming the planet, bees are dying, and climate change is laying waste to crops around the globe. We will need to start looking at other sources of nutrition soon, and some of it is going to feel very, very odd to us. So meet Lauren Keegan, CEO of Entomo Farms, which specializes in the farming of crickets. Crickets. It's what's for dinner. Hi, Lauren. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Um, so crickets. <laughs> this, is, this is the future uh, yep. of food. Yes. Yeah, it's a real thing. It's a real thing. Um, you know, something that is very uh, foreign to a lot of North Americans is starting to gain traction in the mainstream. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's unfortunate that we're in the position that we have to consider, you know, alternate sources of protein, but it's also really exciting uh, for those of us in the industry. So before we got on this, I actually went and looked a little bit up about sort of what the state of you know, insect eating, I suppose you could call it, is in the world. And I read a stat that said 2 billion people eat insects every day. So really, we're, we're, you know, we may be turning our nose up at it and rolling our eyes a little, but this is just commonplace for a lot of people around the world. And they're quite good for you, as I understand it. Yeah, I mean, what we're trying to do in North America is, is we're not recreating the wheel. This is something, as you mentioned, that's been done worldwide, you know, for thousands and thousands of years. And it's really just kind of novel for us. Um, but to your point, the health and sustainability benefits of crickets in specific, but also a lot of other edible insects are second to none. Tons of protein, complete amino acid profile, iron, calcium, Uh, loads of B12 and a lot of prebiotic fiber makes this like without having to add or take away anything a really incredible superfood. Okay so before we get to the eating of of them let's start at the farming of them. What does a cricket farm look like? It's a great question and the answer is it depends. There are a few different ways to farm um, but I can speak I'll speak about how we do what we do Um, because it is in some ways a little bit unique. 
basically, um, we let our crickets have what we call a free range lifestyle. Obviously not too free range because they would just hop away to freedom. Um, <laughs> but basically, um, think about a long, low barn. And if you visit our website, you can see um, some pictures and stuff like that. Um, but they live on these little vertical partitions and they roam around. They have access to running water and food. And no surprise, they spend a lot of their time up um, eating and drinking. Um, and, you know, one, one 20,000 square foot farm will have millions and millions and millions of crickets. They live for six weeks, they get to breed, and then um, they get harvested. I, I just, I have to ask, because I think of crickets at night, is a cricket farm really loud? Surprisingly not. I was <laughs> expecting, the first time I visited, I was expecting to need, you know, earplugs and headphones and stuff like that. And, you know, when they're younger, it's definitely indetectable. As they get closer to maturity, it starts to get to be a low hum, but it's, it's actually quite nice. It's, it's more of an ambient noise. It's not like the sound of outdoor crickets all stacked up on one another. It's just kind of like a nice blended cricket sound. Millions and millions of crickets to some people who are, uh, you know, insect phobic, that might be a nightmare. Uh, yep. how, my, how many crickets does it take uh, to, to feed, say, a person? Is there, that, is there an equation that you use? You need this many crickets to, to, to feed somebody? We, we tend not to think of it in terms of absolute figures of crickets because, yes, there would be millions and millions. And I myself, hilariously, am afraid of insects. Um, so you can imagine my first time at the farm, um, it was a cold sweat. And then it goes away very quickly and you start to realize that they're very... Um, they're much more afraid of you than you are of them. Um, but we look at it in terms of um, protein, or at least I like to look at it in terms of grams of protein. So um, you, you, if you think about it in terms of two tablespoons, um, two tablespoons would be the average serving size that you would throw in your smoothie. So 20 grams would give you um, about 13 grams of protein. Um, and uh, basically... Um, it's a four to one ratio. So four pounds of kind of whole crickets um, go down to one pound of ground crickets. Um, but yes, I mean, it is, it does take millions of crickets um, to get to a finished good that we would then sell as a, as a powdered farm. And, and that repeats every six weeks. Okay. When I think of modern farming, I think of, you know, uh, pesticides, uh, a lot of, um, chemicals used, a great use of natural resources. Is cricket farming more sustainable than most types of farming? So the answer is yes. And this is the really exciting piece is if we put the health benefits aside, which I hate to do because they're so strong, um, farming crickets from a land use, from a water use, from a methane, from um, the requirements to raise a healthy cricket is so simple and so sustainable. It's, it's second to none when you try to compare it to like beef or poultry or, or pigs, um, but even, even more sustainable than some plant-based proteins. So basically, I'll, I'll walk you through it how, how it happens so you can understand just how simple it is. I mean, it's very challenging, but um, the crickets are fed uh, primarily a grain-based diet with some vitamin, vitamins and minerals to make sure they're healthy. Okay, so you, when they do, come supplement, of age, you do supplement their diet then? With just, just, a, just a little bit, just okay. a little bit. Um, but yeah, they're, they're fed grains, um, you know, uh, in some cases organic. So we have organic crickets, um, non-GMO, um, really clean feed, nothing, nothing crazy in there. They get harvested. 
immediately they then get roasted so that you know they're they're cooked um and then they get ground and that's it so nothing gets added and nothing gets taken away the other cool thing is that there's only one byproduct of cricket farming and that's what we refer to as cricket frass and cricket frass is made up of manure very similar um, to other farming practices but um, crickets over time will molt their exoskeletons um, and they shed them and naturally when bugs are out you know in ground and stuff like that they're doing this anyways and that's feeding the soil it's adding nutrients to the soil so the combination of those sheddings and the manure generates a really powerful all natural no chemical fertilizer that we can then sell um, to anybody who's got a garden in their suburban home their urban home container gardening um, and it's really really clean um, so the 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 real advantage to cricket farming is there's no waste and the waste that it, that is generated can then just be turned into plant food and uh, soil amendments. It's, it's really quite interesting. Okay. So when did, when did Entomo Farms start then? So Entomo Farms was conceived of in 2013. Uh, we were founded by three lovely brothers, um, two of whom had a background in raising crickets for um, pet stores. So, um, you can imagine, you know, especially with proliferation right now of people buying things like bearded dragons and, and reptiles and lizards for their homes, they need to eat something. And what they usually eat are live crickets. And so um, Ryan and Darren were, they had a, a great little business doing this. And um, their other brother, Jared, was super inspired by this UNFAO report that came out in 2013 and really kind of kickstarted the industry which was suggesting that we have to be considering edible insects as a sustainable food source for two reasons. The first is for the planet. And the second is as a potential um, solve for areas of great food insecurity, places like Madagascar that have um, really struggled um, with keeping their populations fed. So if, if folks like them were able to do it at scale, um, relatively inexpensively, it was going to be um, uh, really good uh, for areas of hunger. That's where the idea got started. Um, and then fast forward uh, until now, uh, we've used the, the last six years to learn how to raise crickets, learn how to raise them at scale, learn how to commercialize them, aka convince a Canadian or an American that this is something they should consider, which is the steepest uphill battle. Um, and then really just kind of take what we were doing and grow it and get better at it um, and find new uses for, for crickets and cricket powder. There's a couple of things I want to I want to touch on in what you just said there. The first is, you know, you mentioned the um, sustainable food sources. And, you know, I think people, particularly in Canada, United States, when they think of uh, food shortages, they think of other countries. Uh, the reality is, is that is on our doorstep. Um, yeah. Do you have yeah. any sort of uh, stats and figures you can share in and around that? Inside of North America, I don't because transparently, um, in terms of our focus, we have been focused on partnering with a group that is looking to uh, commercialize in Madagascar where the, the poverty um, the poverty rates and uh, the hunger rates are quite astounding, but also because the population is already accustomed to eating um, crickets. Uh, the challenge transparently for, um, for North America right now is cost. And so, Industry-wide, we are quite focused on scaling to the point where our price points are a lot more sustainable. 
so that's that's the challenge in any new industry until you have large scale and and you've had enough time to refine your processes it's going to be very expensive to produce farming crickets unlike chicken unlike beef unlike wheat there's no hundred years of playbook um, to resort to so it's a lot of trial and error and it's a lot of um, trying to figure out you know how how best to do what we do without making any sacrifices on quality and safety and efficacy but you know fast forward five years i think we could certainly be having a much more meaningful conversation domestically um you know to help uh canadians and and frankly all of north america that that's struggling well, I think this this pandemic has highlighted how fragile um, you know our food chain uh, supply chain actually is, and that yes. we will likely not be shipping from you know across the ocean. Um, you know, in the near future, uh, we, we're going to be looking at you know homegrown. Um, food and nutrition, which brings me to the next point uh, that you mentioned was you know your biggest struggle is getting people on board. So. How are you getting people on board with, you know, <laughs> eating crickets? I, I'd like to hear sort of, you know, the struggles and then maybe some of the successes you've had with this. Sure. That's, that's, that is whenever I, I explain to somebody what I do, the first question is, look, I would never eat that. that that's an often, often statement. Or I tried it one time when I was on vacation and, you know, it was a dare and that kind of stuff. And, and that's a very common response. So there's a few different ways that we have um, tried to approach it. And I say this because we, we are fortunate that we partner with a lot of other brands who buy our product and then they integrate it into their product. So we're, we're kind of holding hands on this. Are you, are you in any way um, affiliated with Maple Leaf Foods? Because I understand they are one of the biggest cricket farming productions in Canada. I believe yeah, that's a that's that's a great question. So Maple Leaf is a strategic partner of ours. Um, they're a minority shareholder in our business. Um, so that's that's the connection there. Uh, they invested in us in 2018. They kind of had a very long view as to where the industry was potentially going and they got in early. But Maple Leaf Foods has a mandate to be the most sustainable protein company in Canada and I would argue the world. So clearly cricket farming fits in quite nicely with that. Um, but to go back to your question on how you convince people to eat crickets, um, there's a couple of different ways, but what we have found, um, and what our, uh, brand partners have found is it's easiest if you don't make it really in their face, right? So if it's not a front packaging with bugs all over it, for example, <laughs> you're going to alienate a lot of people. I'll use myself as an example. So I joined the company, um, at the end of January. I was really excited about the opportunity, loved the people, loved the partnership with Maple Leaf, and I saw where the industry was growing. But as I mentioned, terrified of bugs, won't deal with any of them in my house. Um, but I have two young daughters who are like tiny little entomologists and also very interested. So I committed to the team that I would try a cricket by the end of Q1. And I tried my first cricket on March 31st, about midday. So the very end of Q1, that's how long it took me to work up the nerve. Um, and I tried whole roasted crickets. And then I immediately thought, well, I psyched myself out for way too long because they're delicious. They have a great crunch to them. And this is a snack I should be eating every day. Most consumers are not gonna do that. Um, so the easiest way to consume a cricket is to throw it in your smoothie. Think of it like a protein powder. Think of it like the whey protein or the vegan protein that you're eating every day. 
toss it in your smoothie and, and you're none the wiser. It's the same way that a lot of people put kale or spinach in their smoothie so they don't have to think about it. Okay. So um, to that point, the, I would say to you then why, why crickets? Like if I have a protein powder, why would I choose crickets over say a whey or another type of protein powder? Is there an advantage? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely one of the most complete protein sources out there. So if you compare, we often get compared to plant-based proteins because plant-based proteins are a really strong alternate protein, great sustainability story. Crickets have a little bit more of everything. So because we take the whole cricket and we grind it, we get all of the benefits beyond just the protein. We get the prebiotic fiber that's great for gut health. Um, we get uh, a little bit of fat, a little bit of carbohydrate. So it's, it's more of a complete food. Um, loads of B12. That's great. That's something that we have an advantage over plant-based proteins. From a whey protein standpoint, it's just much more sustainable. There's no fiber. There's no prebiotic fiber in whey-based proteins. Um, but the amount of, of land and water use and processing required to get to a whey protein is significant. So from a sustainability standpoint, you know, we definitely definitely over index versus whey. And then from a complete protein health standpoint, we have a lot of advantages over vegan proteins. Okay. Right now. So, I mean, where do you, if you're shopping for crickets, I imagine that in the beginning, this was probably quite fringe, you know, not all natural food stores and things like that. Are you seeing an uptake in more uh, mainstream uh, places where we would get food, you know, um, Walmart, yeah. Loblaws, those kind of places. Is this, is this a thing? Yeah, I mean, it is. It's certainly as, you know, as the CEO of the company, it's not nearly enough of a thing for my liking. Um, but uh, so a good example would be at Loblaws, you can buy President's Choice um, cricket protein. And that's, that's us. That's a, a partnership that we have with them. Um, online is, you know, the best first stop. So between our online website and then a bunch of our partner brands who are also selling cricket-based products, um, that has been, frankly, especially during uh, the COVID kind of shutdown, online sales and online interest has grown quite significantly because I think people are really thinking about where their food comes from probably a little bit more than they have in the past. You've got more time on your hands and there's a, there's a crisis that we're faced with. Um, so from a retail standpoint, it hasn't been a huge priority, but, um, one area of interest that a lot of people haven't thought about until recently is pet food. So we have, um, we have some partners and we have some projects in development, um, for primarily dogs to start. So you can buy pet, uh, pet treats and like a, like a kibble that contains cricket, um, from a number of different, uh, a number of different brands. Um, and then starting next year in a much more meaningful way in, in the U S on a national level. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that because, you know, I mean, pet food is something that, you know, we've become almost obsessed with as a culture, you know, these, these different types of foods for our pet, we treat them like they're humans. Um, yes. but also, you know, to, to that point, I think about, you know, um, what we're doing to the climate with, you know, traditional uh, meat farming um, and your pets, if you're not on board for yourself yet, um, maybe a good way, a better way for the climate is to get your pets on board because they're not going to be picky about where that protein is coming from. No, no, not at all. And, and I think um, to your point, I think pet food manufacturers have realized that 
the same consumers that are looking for more sustainable foods, healthier foods for themselves are also looking for that for their pets. And they haven't really had a lot of options. Um, but I mean, you know, dogs and cats left unattended. Like I, we recently got like everybody else in Canada, we got two kittens um, in the last month. And I watched one of them just eat a spider in front of me. Right. Like I would never <laughs> eat a spider. There's, there's no world in which I would do that. But they were like hundred percent, like I'm going to eat this. Dogs will chew on grass and bugs outside. Um, so it, it is a way of socializing the North American consumer to the fact that this is a possibility, right? If, if it's okay for my dog, next step, maybe it's okay for me. Yeah, I mean, and this is, this is going to be the future. I think it, it, it's, I mean, I'm not there yet myself. So, I mean, full disclosure, I have not eaten a bug. I have not tried okay. cracker powder. Um, yet. So I, but I am fully aware that, you know, it's, what, it's that thing, you know, where people will say, you know, I'm starving, but I won't eat that. I think that's not true. I think that people will have to get on board with these things because we're going to see less and less of certain things in the future. Uh, you know, yes. things like, uh, you know, farmed algae. Uh, I, I read an article that bananas are, are going to be, you know, $5 for, uh, you know, a banana down the road because of this mold that's growing on them around the world. There are going wow. to be all these challenges we're going to be looking at with climate change. So, mm -hmm. so getting on board is, is, uh, is I think the biggest thing, uh, but normalizing it as well um, is going to be the, um, how we get more people to look at it and climate change, right? Because climate change is huge. Yep. Well, and, and, you know, from areas of distress, I think there's an opportunity for great creativity. And so to your point on algae, right? Like some people think about algae as like, I don't know, the stuff that grows in a pool when you leave it um, too long or, or um, like lake scum. Someone, someone described it that way to me the other day and I was like, you are missing the boat here. It is a super powerful food that we can grow with like not a lot is required and it's, it's going to start becoming hopefully much more mainstream as a supplement because it's a superfood, right? Like, the way that you think, the way that we think about food and the way that we think about the way that we nourish ourselves has to evolve because we put ourselves in this position in the first place, right? With the way that we've been eating and the way that we've been consuming up until now. But another example um, of an area that I'm really excited about as a consumer and as someone in the industry is this concept of upcycling foods, right? So it started off kind of early days with, um, I think, I can't remember if it was Loblaws or Sobeys. They started putting out um, like perfectly imperfect products. So like apples that were a little bit less expensive and probably not as beautiful as the shiny uh, Honeycrisp, um, but still really good and otherwise would have gone to waste. Um, there's a really interesting company out of uh, Halifax that is taking, they're collecting waste from grocery stores and restaurants and stuff like that. And they're dehydrating it and they're turning it into um, supplements that you can add back into food. So this food would have gone into landfill otherwise. And they're saying, there's no point. This beet is still good and I'm going to powder it. And then, you know, it can go into a smoothie or a superfood or, or whatever the case may be. That type of creativity is really, really important. Um, frankly, because we've, we've been, we've been wasting for too long. Um, and so I personally find this time really, really exciting um, because I think there's a lot of really cool entrepreneurs who are, rather than fretting about the problem, uh, trying to find really interesting ways to contribute to a fix and then help, again, help grow the mainstream consciousness away from, you know, we have to have steak and potatoes and 
maybe a salad as, as part of our anchor meals to um, much healthier and much more sustainable options. I like that you really mentioned that the concept of, you know, um, uh, of using those perfectly imperfect foods and things like that, because evolutionarily as a species, we were eating, you know, food in its natural whole form for thousands and thousands of years. It's really only in modern history that we have, like you think about when you go into a grocery store, how much of that food is processed? Yes. Sitting in a box or a can and all of these chemicals and, um, foods engineered in a laboratory for the perfect crunch, the perfect taste that you're consuming. Um, it really is, uh, not the way we should be eating. Uh, we no. should be shopping the outside of the aisles, uh, and, you know, avoiding that a lot of meat and dairy. Um, so I, I love that you mentioned that because I look for those things when I go in the grocery store because I don't care what it looks like. Right. And it's cheaper. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it tastes the same. And so on the one hand, you're getting a deal, which is great, but you're also in that making that conscious decision, you're helping avoid a product that would have potentially otherwise gone to waste. They don't get donated as much, right? Like it's not like they're going necessarily to um, to folks who don't have access to food. A lot of the times this stuff just gets pitched and, and that's a it's a shame, right? Food, food has a much longer shelf life than we think, um, especially produce. Ugly produce is just still produce. Um, so I, I, I personally find this really exciting. And, you know, as we think about layering in new products and stuff like that um, in terms of our, our vision for the future, um, it most certainly involves partnering with other companies who are really trying to do the same thing that we're trying to do just from a different angle. Well, if I can get past eating like a uh, semi-ugly apple, um, I think I can convince myself to maybe eat a cricket. Um, I'll do my best yep. to do this by the end of, uh, let's say, 2020. <laughs> there you go. There you go. That's, that gives you five months. And, and just listen, the other thing that you can do if it's really too close to home is you can bake with it. A lot of folks are using cricket as a substitute for flour. So we always say... Yeah, we say don't use more than 20%. Like you can't bake a banana bread just with cricket, um, but you can substitute up to 20% of all-purpose flour or your gluten-free flour or, or whatever it is you might be cooking with. Um, and then you get a, a high-protein uh, prebiotic fiber punch with some added B12 and whatever um, baked good um, you were planning on. So it, so it can add some virtue to what may otherwise be a bit of a sinful sweet treat. And so I have one last question before we wrap it up, because, you know, I think about, you know, we're talking about buying it in a powder form and, and having it at home. Are you seeing this move to restaurants and on the menu anywhere? Well, so restaurants were actually first um, because they're, you know, as we as we talked about in the beginning, crickets and other bugs have been served globally forever. So, um for example, there's a restaurant in the distillery where you can order crickets as an add-on to your guacamole. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so they were kind of the early adopters, and it it is a delicacy in many aspects. And there are there are areas where I, we were having a conversation with um, with a group out of South Korea who were sharing with us that they don't eat crickets, but silkworms are like a culinary delicacy for them. So. Um, I would, I would argue chefs have been kind of pushing this agenda um, 
well before we really kind of got onto it ourselves. So that may be where you try your first cricket. Just go have some with your guacamole. Excellent. All right. Thank you so much for joining me today, Lorena. This was uh, very educational and I wish you luck in uh, with Entomo Farms. Thank you so much for having me. It is your favorite girl. That's right. It's the Ali Mars, the one and the only. Everyone else just ain't me. I am the host of Welcome to Mars, a lifestyle podcast where nothing is off the table. I have come a long way from sex and dating and have transformed the new vibe to all things lifestyle. We still talk sex, but I'm more interested in the journey, where people have come from, how they made it, and where they're going. Subscribe or follow to a brand new look and a brand new era. Welcome to Mars. Subscribe or follow on Apple, Spotify, Google, or at theallymars.com. Because even with the new look, I'm still that same bitch you love to hate. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.